Welcome to the Nordic Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farrand, owner of the Covenant Horns of Odin. And today I'm joined by Richard Wakeman. Uh, Richard, thank you for joining me. We've been trying to plan this one for, but I mean, I've been trying to plan this one for a while. I've been hunting you down and hounding you for a couple of years now. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, finally, we finally got here. Yeah, I can't, how many years has it been? Um, uh, I think it was, you said the last time you did this kind of thing was about three years ago. And that was when I was like, oh, if he's doing a podcast, I want him to come on my podcast. <laughs> yeah, you brought me out of retirement. That's um, it, yeah. But yeah, um, um, name is Richard Waitman. I'm an assistant collection manager for the Department of Britain, Europe and Prehistory for the British Museum. Um, do you want me to tell you a bit about what that is? Or yeah, yeah just, absolutely. Because um, um, there are sometimes I ask myself that very same question, what the hell do I do? Um, but yeah, I've been at British Museum for 20 years and I've been working in museums been working in museums for about 26, 27 years. Um, I started working in museums when I was about 15 on work experience, but that's a whole different story. Um, but basically what I do, and I'm one of about between 20 to 40 assistant collection managers in a museum. Um, they go from department to department. So Egyptian department's got some, Prince and Drawings got some, we've all got various uh, departments that we're assigned to. Um, but what do we do? Um, if you go into a museum and there's an object on display, um, that's a minion like me, we'll put that object on display. <laughs> um, if you're wondering like, oh, that looks nice and that's mount, um, that's a minion like me um, that will make a mount for it or we'll put pinning in it. Um, it's basically, when I say pinning an object, it doesn't mean putting a pin for an object um, like butterflies. It just yeah. means make it look nice and delicate and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, we also um, do little bits of con little bits of conservation on objects, but like for like nice dusting, cleaning, but anything kind of major that we take it to a different department. Because one of the major things that happens in museums is when you're a member of the public and you're walking around looking at display cases, um, there's a whole plethora of staff underground outside the museum, behind the scenes, the transporting objects left, right, and center. There's photographers, there's conservators. There's, there's just so many departments in museums. And it's part of one of my jobs is to get one object from my, my workshop or displays and get it to wherever it needs to go. Hence why I am in Boston, Massachusetts, or Worcester, west of Boston, Massachusetts, um, picking up medieval tiles because we take objects around the world as well. Mm-hmm. And we, we also look after our study rooms as well, um, which is the best secret of the museum is, we, we try not to keep it secret, is when the museum opened, all objects were available for studious and curious people, which means that any member of the public who wants to see an object um, for study purposes, for art purposes, if they've got a specific interest, um, which is varied, um, they can actually go and see an object. Um, so because we've got about 7 million objects and the public has a right to see every single one of those because we can't... We have, uh, got, no, no, yeah, no, no, no. Cool. Richard, go, let's not just jump over that. 7 million Sorry. objects. <laughs> I did I did say babble a bit. Sorry. No, oh, no, no I, didn't mean, I didn't mean it like that. I meant like that's such a fascinating number. Um, seven, it's over 7 million. Like that's a ridiculous amount of um, of items and I guess they're not yes. all big. You have some big items and there's some majority of them, I guess, are small little, little bits and pieces. 
Um, I say, because I still, I because even though I'm back at Fowl, so I really, I like talking to the public when they come into the museum. And what I usually say to people is the little stuff's downstairs and the big stuff, or the little stuff's upstairs and the big stuff's downstairs. Because if you put the big stuff upstairs, it's going to end up falling through the floor and end up downstairs. Um, yeah. But yeah, the mature, we do have some very, very big objects. Um, objects that can be massive Egyptian tombs to massive canoes and boats. Um, but yeah, majority is like small, small objects. So mm -hmm. if you talk about microliths and flints and stuff like that, or shards or shards, um, there'll just be thousands and thousands and thousands of them. Yeah. So how, how many do you have on actual display? I, I don't know if you're going to know that answer or not Com compared to um, how many you actually have in the whole collection. The last estimate, I think, um, but this isn't just our museum, it's most museums and every single museum around the world you go to, the one main thing they'll complain about or say about is troubles with storage because um, mm -hmm. there's never enough space. Um, so I think we estimate between 5 to 7% is on display and we'll be lucky if it's 10% of the collection on display. Wow. And how much is out with other museums? That's a good question, because um, at the same time, we've got the medieval um, tiles from um, the Chertsey tiles that I'm deinstalling here. Um, there is uh, an Egyptian exhibition uh, going around. There's a couple of Egyptian exhibitions going around Spain. We've already got we've always got something going around the world at the same time. So but to say a percentage of the museum's collection going around the world at the same time for special exhibitions, I'd say it's probably less than one percent. OK, so it's if not you've got it's not a big amount. Yeah, if we if we if we said roughly there's about 144 objects in one exhibition um, in Spain, if you put that percentage into over seven million, it's not that much. But we do have permanent loans with um, other museums as mm -hmm. well, um, so that loan will be. I think it's, it goes around like every couple of years to extend a loan agreement, but yeah. some objects are just permanently somewhere else, mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean. That was a, a very good intro because I, what I wanted to, I wanted to kind of preface that the reason why, I, you know, we, we're not going to focus on just Viking Age today. We might touch on some little pieces that you've got there. But when I came to the British Museum, you were kind enough to take me on a, a very, it was a quick tour. We had like an hour and you took us around quickly and kind of showed us all the, the fascinating things. But the whole way around, I was... I couldn't help but think that not everybody gets this experience. Not everybody gets to go to the British Museum and walk around with you or somebody like you that is going to tell them about all the fascinating bits, tell them all the history, tell them how a museum works. And I think a lot of people don't probably don't know how a museum works. Or they don't understand the inner workings behind, which is why I, I pushed to do this episode. I'm like, I think people would be fascinated in kind of understanding on how how objects get from the British Museum to Boston, Massachusetts, the process to get them there, um, how they get, get put on display, and all these little kind of nuanced questions that nobody ever gets to ask, I guess. With a two-word answer, very carefully. Uh, yeah, I bet that is the, <laughs> yeah, that's like the, the motto that's above the door, wherever you go, is just be very careful. Uh, considering I work with the public for so long going into museums, I wish that was the motto going in, but the public probably wouldn't read it anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. That was the other thing when I was there. You were telling me about, was it the, was it like an Egyptian figure that someone had like broke the nose off? Like, well, like, it was like near the entrance, I think. Or people like sit on it or whatever. It was something ridiculous. 
Yeah, I think every museum, there's always an argument of people, um, if you put glass in front of an object, you take the people away from the object. Um, mm -hmm. so there's, sometimes there's an argument of, should we let people have full access, but then the people being people, so they will try and touch, and then you try and restrict the access. And there's that argument of restricting access, but it's also the cost as well. Um, I would love to put glass in front of every single object in a museum um, and put everything in proper ideal condition, but with a museum can't afford it. Um, the government cut our funding um, by so much the last few years um, that it's really hard coming up with that kind of money. And there'd be an argument uh, from people way above my pay grade um, that would say, nope, these objects are good. And then conservation and uh, department or heads as well would actually say if the object is at risk and sometimes they will go and put glass mm -hmm. or space in front of it. But yeah, that's way above my pay grade. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it, it is true though. When you know, when I go and see things, obviously, but I I will always go with like a respectful mind. I wanna, I I wanna do wanna be as close as possible to it, and I would rather the glass not be there and then be able to take nice pictures without the glass. But people, especially something like the British Museum, where the footfall is astronomical. I don't know what the footfall is, but it must be, you know, millions a year. Maybe I you might have a better. Idea. Um before COVID, um, that long ago, um, on a rainy Sunday day, um, you could get anything between twenty-five to 30,000 people in a day. Wow. Um, I think these days it's going up again, but I'm not sure if it's hit 15,000 a day yet. Mm -hmm. um, but there are some days when it's, it's kind of on context in the building as well. Uh, when I worked at the Transport Museum in Covent Garden when I was younger, we had a Thomas the Tank Engine event. Um, and uh, we had 500 people in a day and it felt like the mouth of hell had opened up <laughs> um, just because it was a small building and yeah, such yeah. An, a tremendous amount of people. But if you put 500 people into the British Museum, then you kind of can hear a pin drop. Yeah, um, of course. Um, yeah, I think if, when you, you know, when you're talking about that kind of numbers, 50, you know, even if it's 15,000, if you had 10,000, if you if you had just ten thousand people and you were like one of those people is just an asshole, they're just they're just not a nice, they're just they're just a, a shithead. Uh, you'd be like, yeah, yeah that I, yeah I can see that one in ten thousand. So if you have one one of those coming through the museum every day, you guarantee they're going to touch something they're not meant to touch. <laughs> they're going to do something they're not meant to do, and then yeah, what some when is something you know like the objects you've got there, they're irreplaceable. Once it's once it's broken, it's broken. And I had the discussion. Um, with my friend the other day, actually, I'd love your opinion on it. It was the rebuilding of Notre Dame, and we were watching a program about them reconstructing it. And I was kind of of the opinion that it, it's such a travesty as what's happened, but it's happened, and 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 the 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 recreation will never be the same. It's never going to be what was there before. So it's kind of like, is there a point in rebuilding it because it's just not going to be the same thing? Uh, but then I kind of do understand rebuilding it because it would be nice for people to see it as it was, but also it's not, yeah. it's never going to be what it is. And I guess you maybe get that with items that get broken. It's like, do we repair it? Do we, what do we do with it? It's a really cool, it's a really cool and interesting argument because um, one of the things about my place is you can see that argument has happened um, decades and centuries before because mm -hmm. um, you can get objects which have been um, and the Victorians were pretty cool, cool about it as well because you get objects which are not even the same objects um, we've got a statue of Paris in one of our galleries 
um, but it wasn't actually Paris. It was Mifras um, originally. Um, okay. But they, they had they had the torso, and then they found a hand of an apple, and they found a very pretty face. And they put the head on it, and they put the hands on it, and they just went, ha-ha, it's Paris. Because there are all these various bits. Yeah. Where, uh, and we have – there are some objects that um, – things have might have fallen off um, before because some objects just want to die. Um, but there is, and there's an argument of, is that part of the story? Um, do, does it get put back together? Cause we found um, other displays from like the seventies and the sixties. Um, does this put back together or does that break um, is part of the story? Um, and in about 20 years time and about 30 years time, it's going to change and change again. Um, but putting, putting Notre Dame back together, um, I think it had to be done. Um, it's still heartbreaking seeing it go up in flames. Uh, I can only run around it in Assassin's Creed so much before I actually want to see the real thing again. It is, yeah. Give me, give me one second. I need to just let the put the dog in his crate. He's, he's. I don't know if you can hear him barking or not, but he's just stood barking at me. Feel, feel totally free to you, pick him up and like show him to everyone, no, including you, me. Usually, it's very cute. Usually, just relax, relaxes, but for some reason, he's uh, kicking off. Give me one more second. Probably feeding off my nervous energy for this. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's one of those questions that I've really, I, I really pondered on because I, I I kind of have the opinion that whilst it's a beautiful thing in its own right. Once it's once it's destroyed, it's almost become a new thing, and it's, yeah. it's and like <clears throat> with um with Notre Dame, it would it would still be beautiful in its own right. It's just become a new beautiful object. You know, I go around and look yeah. at ruined buildings all the time. You know, you got Fountains Abbey, Rivo Abbey. There's all these beautiful places that yeah. they're the ruins, and they're, they they've just become something else. And I would love to see them in as they originally were, but they're also kind of something else now and i and i feel like maybe that would have been nice with notch down but then equally i never got to see it as it was so i probably will go and yeah. see it once it's reconstructed so it's i don't know where i sit with it well one of one of the things i also do um because I, I was supervising uh, gallery teams in the museum for about 10 years before i jumped to back of house um was i i still train a lot of the visitor services stuff and one of the things that comes up when i do um collections awareness training and other stuff for them because um, I still do a bit of their security training is one of the questions they'll use to ask. But, um, so what happens if someone comes up with a sledgehammer and tries to smash this object? And I'm just like, well, yeah, you move the hell out of the way because yeah. um, you're irreplaceable as a human being. Um, and, but the objects, um, we're quite lucky. We've got some geniuses that work for the conservation department and they're absolutely magicians um and they can um do wonders so yeah um if the object breaks um and as i said some objects just want to die um it's just you you don't want to be the person that if an object has lasted for thousands of years you do not want to be the person um which brings <laughs> that to a sudden sudden yeah. bad ending um but some objects just they just die um and we've got people that can actually do miracles and put things back together like mm -hmm. quite amazingly whilst you couldn't even notice the difference yeah i imagine you know you're talking about objects that hundreds thousands of years old of course they're they're brittle and i, I mean we're human beings accidents mm -hmm. 
happen i'm sure oh i, I was gonna ask you a question then but there's no way you could ever answer it and that was like have you ever han- been handling anything and it's uh like broken and you've just panicked and kind of just put it back together and just pretended like put it back in his box and just because <laughs> i feel like that's what i'd do i'd panic and i'd um, be like yeah you know like i'm in uh, mr bean where he goes to is it the louvre and he's got the 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 painting that gets destroyed and he just draws the face on yeah that's what i that's what i do if i worked at the british museum or there was a big newspaper um or a big news story a few years ago from an unnamed museum with an unnamed um object which is world famous on so many levels um and they put a bit of its mask back together um very very badly but um i'm not i'm not i'm not gonna say where it was but, uh, <laughs> but i think one google search of that will probably show what happened um when it comes to me it's one of those things i could say no 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 um and i could be lying but i definitely haven't and i'm not lying um, no, I've, I've seen you. um i've seen objects just die on a table um it's just one of those things there was a rivet from sutton who um which we were just and rivets um they make me shudder, whether they're from Sutton Hoo or not, just looking at it on a table. Um, and it's so ancient and old, um, it just doesn't want to live yeah. anymore. So it would just go, and it did, about two weeks before we took it up to Sutton Hoo to install. Um, but we had, yeah. we, knew we, were, we knew they were really fragile. Um, we were actually preparing to actually pack them and photograph them to actually take to put on display at the visitor center. Um, and it just decided uh, it was, wasn't its time anymore. Um, and it died on the table, um, but we had Such a person a... next door who Go we had a person next door who was just like saying, "Yep, don't worry, I can fix it," and they did, uh, and it's still on display at Sutton. So. That's such a you you put it in such a beautiful way as well, like how it's just kind of it's it's time because it it is you know that thing's been around for for so long, and in the same way that humans do, you know, we decay. That's all aging is. We we're just kind of getting old and decaying to a point where we can't hold together anymore, and we. And we die, yeah. and that's the same thing for any object. Where I guess it just can't even hold itself under its own weight anymore, and it's it's just that describes me with jet lag currently. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, whilst you're out there, um, obviously you said you you've got some tiles that you're collecting, and yeah. this the, the process of how you get things from the British Museum somewhere else fascinates me. How does how does that work? Because you're you obviously you're dealing with, in some cases, priceless objects. Are there, is there a limit to like value or rarity of what they will lend out? Um, it depends. Um, some things I can't actually say, um, okay. so I apologize no, if no. I don't answer some things. Um, but everything's got to be insured with government indemnity. Um, some things, um, they just you there'll be people, as I say, well above my pay grade that jump in, that go, can go all the way up to the director level, um, that say yes or no. It goes, the request arrest, request will come in, and it could be from the Louvre, it could be from Barnet Museum, like so from the very, very um, small museums to the really, really massive museums, and they would put in a request saying, we'd like this, 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 and this. And then that would go through... Uh, group of people in the loans committee and then they would say yes and then they get or no and then it can be appealed um and then it will go up to a director level and they'll say yes 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 no 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 or say yes to a few and no to a few objects mm-hmm. um 
and then it gets bounced down. Um, if when it, when it gets to give it a go ahead, it bounces down to someone like me or another team because there's just quite a few of us. And then we have to basically find all the objects. Um, I apologize if this gets really, really boring because no, it's no, quite dull it's stuff. Not, but... it's, it's, believe me, it's fascinating. You, it, this is the thing. It's boring <laughs> for you because you probably do it every day. Whereas for, for us, this is just something we don't get to see. It's not. It's nothing we ever hear about. Uh, we get we get a big list, um, and then basically we go around. Um, and if there are people who work in museums following this bit, they'll always know never to ch- never to believe in any measurements um, that is given on a database, and to actually actually go around visually looking for every single object, find every object, measure everything, uh, weigh everything, um, and basically. Uh, when it comes to actual time, you've got to take them off display, um, take photos of everything. Sometimes they need to be cleaned by a conservation department. Sometimes they might have to put that together by the conservation department. Um, and then it's what we do, condition reports. Um, so it's basically a massive game of spot the difference. So you have to photograph every single section of an object. Um, and it's, it's great if it's like a, I don't know, Right, this little headphone thing, it's like nice and tiny, but you'd have to photograph every single side. Um, Then photograph its insides like Mm -hmm. that. You'd have to write about what its weak points would be. Um, But then if you're photographing uh, Anglo-Saxon 7th century glass, um, tentacle-like piece, then you can have about 50 or 60 photos um, if you're photographing and you have to take um, around, take a Egyptian bow, uh, which is a couple of thousand years old, um, to Spain for a couple of years, then there's going to be over 150 photos um, to every single bit. And then, yeah, it gets a bit crazy. But I do like, uh, well, it sounds dorky, I do like doing the condition reports because when, when you have to plan out backpacking a crate, you do all the measurements, um, you have to get specific materials so it can take in the vibrations um, and how to get, and every object has to be packed differently. You can't pack glass the same way you're gonna pack wood. You can't pack massive heavy bits of stone the same way you're gonna do um, ceramics. And everything's a little bit different. Um, and especially if, if, you're, if you're taking human remains as well, um, it's also a little bit different for that. <laughs> I Sorry, do they go in those really cool wooden crates that you see on Indiana Jones? Uh, do they go in those? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Oh. Yeah. Um, I was watching Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade on the flight over here. And oh, yeah. must, must have been a complete loony because I was every two seconds I was laughing to myself. And at the very end of Raids of the Lost Ark, it's just I know a lot of people in my line of work are going like, yep, that's exactly what it's going to be like in our store. <laughs> um, if we have if we have room for everything in our store anyway, yeah. um, but then when you get the, when you get the objects, you have to make sure they're all going into the crate. Um, and then there are various ways of getting an object across lands. So you got to get trucks, or if you're going international, yeah, get you go into um, go into the warehouse. You can't. Sometimes you go airside to get them on the plane. They go to their destination, and then as soon as the I'm not excited for Indiana Jones 5. Thank you for the question. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to go slightly off topic. Number four didn't even exist. Um, no, no, number four was in the, yeah. it wasn't great. The, yeah. <laughs> the, I, you know where that movie lost me? Where 
They were driving. As soon as they announced the Indiana Jones four was when they lost me. No, no, they <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, they lost me when they were driving through the um, the rainforest and they had the two two cars and there was like monkeys swinging around. Like for some reason that 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 whole scene just lost me completely. I was like, I'm out. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> That's quite firing actually. Yeah. To be fair. Yeah, but um, when the objects go to another venue, um, when we get them out, we have to go through everything in reverse. So we get objects out of the crate, um, working along with the conservator, we go through every single photo, see if there's any difference. And then we, if we make the mounts for um, the objects beforehand, we take them out, and then we got to work with their techs in other museums, put the mounts all on the walls or in the cases and then just put the objects on display. And then as soon as everything's locked up and secure, that's when we go home. And that's when all the curators and all the people have a big party to say, hey, welcome to this brand new exhibition. And the minions like me, we never get to see that because we're already gone. Yeah, yeah. So uh, as, is the, as is such as such as life. Yeah, it is. So do you then, do you just leave it in the hands of the place that you've loaned it to then? Or do you leave somebody with them no, um, if when when people get a loan from the museum, um, they have to um, basically have certain things in place. So whether it's um, security, whether it's um, conditions are met, um, humidity, temperature, all that kind of thing. Um, so everything is as secure as the rest of their collections. Um, and we trust those people when if they can actually have permission for the exhibitions, um, then it's all there. Yeah, there will be. I guess there'll be a certain bit of certain bit of due diligence and checking done to make sure that it's going to be looked after. So yeah. are all the photos done to just to make sure, so you know if there's any damage between yeah. leaving and arriving? And also, I guess, when you get them back, you're going to do the same yeah, when thing? We get, it's exactly the same. Yeah, when we go and pick up objects to bring back, um, we go through the same photos, um, see if anything has changed since then. And then when we get when we pack them up, um, from the special exhibition and when we bring them back to the museum we have to do the same process again just to make sure there is no damage on each side of the transport so when we take when we take when we're taking objects around um, for long-term exhibitions we've got a few in spain at the moment um, they're jumping from exhibition venue to exhibition venue so they'll go from barcelona to madrid then Madrid to Seville and then Seville to Tarragona and various other bits around there. They'll be condition checked before they go into their crates. And the next time they go to the next venue, they'll be checked as well. Um, so even though it's in one, con- one country, every venue they go to, they have to be checked and then rechecked when they come out again. Well, and, it, and it is so just a, it's a massive, it is a ga- massive game of spot the difference. Look at the object, look at the photo, look at the object from this angle, look at the photo from that angle, and it's just like wash mm-hmm. rinse repeat. And uh, how often is there actually a difference? Because I imagine it must be so rare that sometimes you must just go into like autopilot mode almost and just be like, yep, yep, yep. But it must it must also happen sometimes where there is a difference. Someone in Spain <laughs> used some super glue to stick something back together and you're just like, no, no, no. No, 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 that wouldn't, that wouldn't happen because if uh, anybody wants to, if anything happens, um, anything happens in a case, like if the temperature goes spikes or if the humidity drops or humidity spikes, um, the museum, we can tell, we can actually look at different temperature humidities and there's alarms that go off to actually uh, trigger like, oh, email to this person, um, oh, conservation yeah. gets involved and then they have to actually um, 
call us and we have to either give people permission or we'll go out there. So if it's if a couple of people have to go to somewhere in the States or back to Barcelona or something, then we will, no one opens the cases and stuff like that. Uh, until somebody gets there to check it. Yeah. And it's it's the same for when we're doing exhibitions or when we're looking after objects of other people's. Um, we had um, some things I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say, but hey, um, we had a massive exhibition on the Vikings in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, uh, if anyone came to see it and enjoyed it, congratulations. Because uh, from my perspective, it was a total disaster. And the museum broke on day one of it because um, the spacing wasn't it, what the exhibition wasn't spaced out. The case is terrible. Um, and there was queues for a minute one. Um, okay. And it was just, it was horrendous. So we had to open, uh, we had the idea to um, take out one of the cases and take out the audio guides. So people weren't standing like 30 people just to look at one object um, and just to basically decrease the dwell time. But to, do that we had to get a museum from two museums in europe um they had to arrange um one one of their members of staff each to actually come over to the uk to be there while we dismantle a case and taking their objects out and that that took about a month to actually get sorted um so yeah other museums had the same policy when it comes to objects like that some people going to go and the different museums got different relationships together so some museums are going to go Oh yeah, we've watched you before. That's totally okay. Um, but some of the museums rightly would say, "No, it's cool. Um, we trust you." But our policy is somebody's got to go and look at the objects, so that's how it's going to be. It's, it's so. This is so fascinating to me. <clears throat> but you can see where the money goes as well, because it's not cheap to send people to go and check these things. Into, I, I mean, I don't know how long it takes to to take all the photographs and play spot the difference but i imagine it's not a short amount of time and then packing it all the whole process is is very long-winded and as it should be these things need protecting but also you know time costs money you you need to you need to be paid everybody else has to be paid so i can see how money just disappears into looking after these things i I guarantee you no one goes into museum work for the money that's for sure (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah, as an example, when we did the Stone, World of Stonehenge exhibition last year, um, I think we did four weeks for the actual install, and it was our first major exhibition like coming properly out of lockdowns, um, and it had been planned from lockdowns. We had a mixture of um, careers coming to the museum in person, which was great, um, so they're bringing objects from all over Europe. Um, we also had a mixture of museums that still weren't sending out staff, so they were just doing it via laptops. Um, so yeah, when I was doing a battleground section of the exhibition, um, I was on video, two laptops were watching me from Germany. One was watching me from Switzerland. And then I had another courier standing next to me as well saying, Oh, I've, last time this object came out, it was broken. Um, and I was like, Oh, thanks. Thanks. No pressure at all. Uh, when I was trying to put it on display. Um, and you were worried so about coming and talking to me and you've had that kind of pressure. I was thinking about it about I've been nervous all day about doing this. And I, I was like, looked at a picture and I thought, uh, I've held objects from like the ages, <laughs> steady hands. Um, and then, yeah, I was, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit introverted. So this is a, this is a big step for me. Um, no, yeah. I guarantee people but, are going to find this amazing. Um, but yeah, that, uh, that is quite interesting how, you know, you've held probably some of the most priceless objects there is, um, and then 
but it, it's how everybody is, isn't it? We're all kind of, we're all different. Um, but I appreciate yeah. it. And it's, uh, been a, it's been a lot of fun stuff and we've got a lot more to, a lot more to get to. Uh, well, I could show you, like, if I, am I able to share a picture or two to show oh, some absolutely. of the things that I, how do I do that? Absolutely. Let me. And I apologize for not being very technical. No, don't worry. Um, I've just given you a uh, screen share so you can, at the bottom, the little green button, you should be able to share your screen and then you'll be able to pick uh, either a specific tab or a window just so you're not showing all your private information if you've left any of it up. Um, it always strikes the fear of God into me when I have to share my screen just in case I've left uh, a loose tab open of something. And everybody's mind always goes to the smut, but it's not even just that. It could be anything. And I was like, I just freeze. Mine would just be the recent music I was playing. So it's uh, showing my dorkiness going between um, Castlevania soundtrack and Slayer videos. Oh, um, just to kind of motivate, it. just to motivate myself for this conversation. <laughs> um, right, bear with me while I also figure out how to use a computer. No, don't um, there we go. So, uh, whilst whilst you you're learning, I was going to ask you: Do you have? Um, is there one time period that is always the most popular? Because you, you said you've been there twenty years, or does it change? I imagine the Egyptians are always popular, but does it change like yeah. cultural as you know as, as through the through through the years you've been there, is it always one or the other? Um, ooh, it's a good question. Um, and when I was working on visitor services, um, it was one of those cool things because I could jump around the museum quite regularly. Um, every day I would go to a different era. So I'd go from the Egyptians to the Assyrians to the Babylonians to uh, Greece. And it's all different elements of Greece as well. So it's like Hellenistic, classical, just all over the place. Mm -hmm. um, but without uh, trying to not to give you my whole life story. Um, but when I started, um, I responded to um, a couple of disasters in the museum in, over the, the periods of time where I've worked there. And um, and I asked, um, have you got that? I've got it, yeah. yeah so yeah. my picture, cool. Um, over t so over time, um, I got to know some people in the Middle East one. So, because one of the Middle East, the Middle East department was one of my favorite um, departments um but then after i was working while well, volunteering for the middle east department on my days off um i also started working for the prehistory and european department um which is where i definitely wanted to work because yeah. how do how do i change photos there we go yeah. um so as you can tell by most of the photos i seem to have landed on my feet um i would Say that it used to change daily. Um, one day I'd think, oh, the Egyptian department, because I do like working with human remains. Mm -hmm. um, but as you can tell from here, um, prehistory and European section is definitely my favorite section. Yeah. But, um, I definitely, I'm, I'm always torn between um, Laten, the Iron Age objects and collections we have, um, and then the, and then the Sun Hu collection. It's uh, as you can see from these like shoulder cloths that are in my left hand right now because they're just absolutely. Uh, it's an honor and a privilege to actually not only are the objects amazing, um, helping be a part of the story um, and how we maintain and look after these objects for the next. Hopefully, you never know what way the world's going to go, but the next couple of hundred years old, and it's just yeah, 
taking care of these kind of things is just a privilege. Um, so I would go for time time periods. I would say, um, ooh, can it be from anything from 500 BC to 1100 AD? That's my 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 love. Um, but then it, that's just on so many different uh, levels and cultures, um, the, especially in migration periods around Europe and that kind of thing. Um, if you're asking for my favorite objects, it would probably be uh, Vindolanda tablets. Um, they're part, they're one of my favorite objects along with Sanu. Okay. Perfect. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah that's just oh, I love the, I love these, these these photos. I've just got lost for a second and forgot that I was meant to uh, meant to speak. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> sorry for the various slideshow, no, no, but that's no, no. just part of uh, no what I, what I, part of what I get up to. <laughs> yeah. It's, do you? Do you, do you as you become normal like do you ever get used to handling these things and kind of just forget their value maybe i, I don't know i because to me it's insane to think that you get to touch these items that are you know thousands of years old in some cases and you know so important culturally to many different people and certainly when it comes to like the, the Viking age for me, like I find them so fascinating, like the Sun Who helmet, like things like that. I've just, it, I'm in awe of, and you, I've seen them on TV shows and, and documentaries I've watched and pictures and I've obsessed over them. I've spoke about them with people on here. And then when I get to go and see them in real life, I'm like, that's, that's, that's it. That, that's the thing that I've been looking at all this time. Um, do you ever get used to that? That you actually get to touch it and, and like put it in its place and, and you, you're almost like it's, it's caretaker. You're making sure that it, it doesn't just give up and die, I guess. Um, it's, there are, I get, um, personally, no. Um, cause the moment you get used to something, um, you take it for granted yeah. and the moment you take it for granted and something's going to fall off and break and you lose your job. Um, and like I said earlier, you don't want to be the person who ends the life of something that's lived for a couple of thousand years until it met you. Oh, um, especially if it's a popular item as well, because yeah, not all items we have to... equal, are they? There's some that are just more popular. And if it was one of the really good ones and you broke it, you'd just go down in history as the guy that broke. There yeah, there's a, well, there there was a, a member of staff had to put back a uh, Portland vase. Um, back together after a member of the public broke it um, and that took him a whole year Paul and Vase is this cameo glass uh, vase um, and it's just one of a kind and then a, a member of the public came in I think it was the early 1900s and smashed it in the hammer um, and a member of staff had to put it all together piece by piece and then about I can't remember the, the same person who put back um, as you see it now the Sutton New Helmet Mm -hmm. uh, the same person, same member of staff who turned that into what it is now. He had to take apart the Portland phase piece by piece by piece by piece um, because the actual adhesive was deteriorating. Um, so instead of letting it fall apart, they intentionally took it apart piece by piece to actually put it back together with like modern adhesives. Um, so I, in answer to your question, sorry, I had a long-winded way of answering your question. Um, I don't... Um, I don't take for granted because it took me such a long time to get where I am. Um, and because I, I used to come to the museum and I go to museums all the time. Um, I used to come to the mu museum as a kid. Um, I worked for visitor services for so many years and I used to love 
talking to members of the public. Um, I still love walking through the galleries and telling members of the public, um, oh, check out this bit, this bit, this bit, this bit. Mm-hmm. If you look around at the back and you might catch a glimpse of this as well. Um, so I know what it's like as a member of public going to a museum. Um, and it annoys me sometimes when I see um, other members of staff sometimes taking it a bit for granted. They might not have ended up in the department they want to, so they'd just be like, oh, it's just it's just a brooch or it's just oh, a sword or yeah. it's just a talk. And it's just kind of like, don't say it's just a talk, it's the snatch and like great talk. Or it's just, yeah. it's like, the, yeah. Um, just because it's your thing doesn't mean it's not somebody's thing. Yeah, it's true. And um, and I'm like a kid in the candy store sometimes. Some, um, oh, there are, however, however, I do have to say, um, in sometimes uh, when you see, when you have to move hundreds and hundreds of like, you know, bags of shards or hundreds of tiles, um, which are nothing, there's nothing on them. Sometimes there is stuff with no historical value, no historical context, or, and you're just thinking like, oh, kill me now. Um, but then you, you have to think sometimes that like in hundred years that might actually have like, um, some context or, yeah, there are some days when you think like, just put me out of my misery, but then you kind of, you walk around the museum, um, even though you go around to a store in your lunch break and you're thinking like, ah, this is what I do, what I do. You walk through a gallery and you can hear a gasp of like someone going, oh my God, I finally get to see it. Oh, yeah, and you're yeah. thinking like, yeah, exactly. And I like stopping for those people as well. I like, uh, as you found out from me dragging you around the museum and like, less than an hour because we didn't have much time it's, yeah. and i do i do like taking people around and like saying like oh you should see this you should see this you should see this and then maybe tell a stupid story about it at the same time i oh, know it, it was fascinating i appreciated it so much and that's why again like i said i was so keen to do this episode because people don't get that opportunity um that yeah just to see the, the inner works i had no idea how this this stuff worked before you mentioned somebody broke the the vase with a hammer does that happen quite often do you get like risks of vandalism on purpose for i guess for political or whatever reasons um doesn't happen much um i can't remember the last time somebody actually intentionally wanted to um smash something um but there are um it's um well so just we've named the giant elephant in the room that I work for the British Museum, and they might be seen as sometimes the bad guys in like um, history for museums. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just it is what it is. Um, so we do have protests. Um, and I just have to say, and the proviso on my Instagram profile, um, that anything I say is my own personal point of view and not that of my employees, uh, employers, I should say. Um, hopefully that gets me out of jail if I say anything <laughs> I probably shouldn't have already. Um, but yeah, we, um, every museum, a lot of museums get, um, political protest, oil protests, yeah. whether it's sponsorship or even just cause they know if they protest in a place like ours, they will get more publicity for it as well. Yeah, um, so yeah, so many different issues that come through to my place, um, whether it's sponsorship or, you know, even things like uh, repatriation issues and stuff like that. Uh, but for smashing objects, um, no, we get a thing of people leaving things next to objects um, to make it look like objects have been smashed. Um, oh, really? I thought I thought yeah. you were going to say like more like an offering type type situation. We we have had that a couple of times. 
Um, and that's totally cool. Um, people leaving um, offerings in front front of the Easter Island statues, um, things like that. That's and that's totally okay. But we had we had somebody. Um, this might get a bit gross, and this is where I go into stupid. What the hell is this? This shouldn't happen in a museum. Um, but we had people leaving uh, plaster penises next to Greek and Greek statues. We've had people leaving bits of stone next to Egyptian statues, thinking wanting member of staff to find and go like, oh my God, somebody's broken. Um, somebody left, um, I saw from a distance, um, and this was in 2005, someone from a distance in the mummy's gallery, um, looking a bit shady with a bag. Um, he turned around, saw me, put the bag down in the corner and then run, um, which I thought, oh great, somebody's just put a bomb down. Um, yeah, I yeah. Where, in, I 2000, in 2005 as well, that's... That is yep. time to be a little bit worried. Yeah. Um, so he put a bag down, bullied, um, in the mummy's gallery, which is one of the busiest galleries in the museum. Um, so I've been quite vocal with all the members of the public saying, would you please kindly leave the gallery now? Um, while getting on the radio to the control room saying, member of the public's just dropped a bag. I'm evacuating. Everyone's getting out. Um, when I got to the bag, um, I've looked just down inside it, and there was very neatly packed four dead pigeons. Um, which, you know, he came to a museum. He knew he was going to either, did he kill them himself? Did he just find dead pigeons and then pack them neatly together and then put I them mean, in a How do you find, bag? I don't think we you just find know. dead pigeons. He's killed them. Yeah. Um, then another guy was bringing in um, dead, fe- dead animal fetuses and then dropping them around to um, various bits of the museum, um, which was interesting picking up, but, you're you're a free museum. You're a free free museum, so anybody can come in, and they generally do. Anybody who's working visit services or customer care. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, every, everyone's everyone's got a story. People can never, never cease to amaze me. Like they're yeah, they're just bizarre sometimes. But um, okay, there's a lot to unpack there. The dead pigeons. <laughs> did, was there a reason for it? Was he like trying to? Was there any rhyme or reason with there like pigeons in the exhibition? <laughs> Maybe I don't know. Like no, he he was in the wind. Like um, I saw him, and I was more focused on the bag and getting all members of the public yeah, of out, of, out of the place. Um, so yeah, he was he was just he was gone. Um, just random. Just very, people are very random. I do miss working with them that much sometimes. Yeah, that's. I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't really even know what to say because it's so, it's so bizarre. I don't really even have an answer for it. Like, I can't even, I can't even speculate. Especially like the the the, the fetus one. Like, I can't even speculate like the reason why, unless it's just yeah, unless it is just to cause upset. Yeah, that's. I think some people just do things just to cause a scene sometimes mm-hmm. uh, the dead fetuses of animals right well, those are the photos i won't share on instagram although to say that i do because i teach um to newbies uh, what we call integrated pest management um so i do have a whole box of dead insects um a dead mouse with larvae and eggs and everything coming out of its decayed body um, just to kind of explain um, what you're looking for and about the ways insects and animals can damage 
objects in the collections and the museum. Um, so I do have dead things underneath my desk <laughs> at the same time. So, but, you know. but, but at least that has purpose. It's not, it's not just randomly dropping them around the, uh, the museum for some reason. Oh, don't tempt me, Frodo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, oh, I wanted to ask you, because I couldn't remember what it was. The When you said about the Middle Eastern section earlier, there was the like stone slab that you showed that you showed us that had the lions on it, and it was one of the the most impressive things I've ever seen in my entire life. And I never expected to see it. I wasn't. I didn't even know it existed. Not, um, not if you like cats. <laughs> it's it's not great if you like cats. That's that's true. Yeah. Um, but even even if if you like cats, I think it's. It's still you still have to appreciate it for for what it is and its beauty and its detail. Um, yeah, yeah, what what was that? Can you can you give like a quick little? Uh, yes, uh, that was that was the wall freezes for Ashurbanipal's palace, um, and Ashurbanipal was uh, one of the biggest uh, Assyrian rulers. Um, we had a massive exhibition of his as well. Um, he had a massive library, um, but basically. Because um, there are so many different like intricacies to uh, um, the freezers and the actual winged lines and wind balls, um, but yeah, um, they were all painted. Um, and it's not just the lion hunt, um, which was one room. We had like a whole corridor that left um, that basically led to his front room as well, and they're all vividly painted. Uh, but the lion hunt scene was basically um, him or the actual artist were basically saying that. He's looking care, looking after his people because um, it gives the impression that he is basically going around on a chariot killing lions um, for his people. But the way you can make out from the freeze is that all the lions were actually captured um, and they were basically set up in a mini kind of arena, um, guarded and lying circled with like guards with shields. Um, and he is the only person allowed to kill um, the lions and it is basically doing his kingly duty um, but they are painted um, in quite low relief um, actually carved out in very low relief um, and they are so vivid um, there's one famous one of a lion vomiting blood um, and you can actually see that an arrow has pierced um, its spine um, and so its stomach is dropped Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's very, very, very depressing. I mean, I'm more of a dog person, but it's still very, very depressing. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the opposite side of that gallery is what they call the Siege of Lachish, um, which was featured in the Bible, and um, it basically got turned into a hill. Um, and it started It started out in the interpretations. Um, you can actually see um, in, in like, you go to a library and look up Lachish, and you'll see this tiered-looking city, which is quite close to how Gondor looks in like Lord of the Rings. And it basically got reduced to absolutely nothing. Um, and you can see it um, played out in this, in this massive uh, freeze. Um, and again, that combined with the lion hunt and all the people escaping from Lakish uh, basically got taken into slavery, um, which you can see in another section further down, down the hall. Um, and then basically it would be the, might have been the front door of the palace. You would have, if you had you come in with like trade negotiations or you wanted to give Ashley Guanapal a piece of your mind, you'd be walking through all of this um, displays, seeing it all vivid. And by the time you get to having your meeting, you kind of go like, hey, how you doing? Uh, nice yeah. to meet you. Um, I'm, I'm just going to leave. Um, they're amazing. If anyone, if, 
if anybody would like to see a little bit of it, um, if you watch the first Wonder Woman movie, um, you might see her walking through a corridor in the Louvre. And that is actually uh, the corridor um, of the British Museum and the Assyrian collection. Um, we had to change all our signage to French because um, we pretended to be the Louvre, which was quite insulting. Wow. Um, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, Wonder Woman didn't work at all. She w- worked at the Louvre in the movies, but it was actually filmed at the British Museum, the internal um, shots from the movie. Why didn't she just work at the British Museum then? The British Museum has a lot we, of cool stuff. Just let it work there. I think we were cheaper. Um, oh, yeah, maybe. But, but ironically, I think it was the end of the Justice League when you or one of the Wonder Woman movies, um, you saw her standing outside the British Museum um, after she foiled the uh, a breaking or something like that, and you did yeah. actually see us stand outside the British Museum. It was kind of like, yay! It was good. It was a good film shoot. That was like two nights till like six in the morning or something like that. It was pretty cool. I bet, yeah. But there was. Do you get a lot of that kind of stuff of movies and? Because was it was it Black Panther that was at the British Museum? Was it Black Panther? No. Which one? No, was that? no. Uh, that's uh, well. Yes and no. It was a. I can't remember what they called it in Black Panther, and it did look suspiciously, suspiciously like our uh, African gallery. Um, uh, but yeah. it wasn't filmed at our place. Was it a made-up museum for the movie? I think it was a made-up bit for the muse- for the movie. Um, I'm, I don't know the intricacies, and I probably. Uh to talk about intricacies but i think when it came to uh, museum staff getting killed on screen um oh, yeah. that might have been where that might have been where they kind of said eh, maybe not yeah yeah that's uh yeah that's a good point i didn't even yeah i didn't think about that but do you, yes did you but, get that quite often how, but however saying that they did film or they did um i can't remember which one it was uh multiverse of madness the doctor strange movie a lot of yes. some of that was filmed yeah, yeah. in the great court and patrick stewart got killed in the great court um all the other superheroes got killed in the great court um so you know um it was nice to be in the marvel universe for a second but you know do you get to meet any of the stars um i've met a few uh people um um, I probably shouldn't say their names, oh, but I met a few people. I met a few people. I met um, Mackenzie Crook um, doing the Christmas special for the Tetris. He was quite lovely. Oh, um, nice. And I did meet Robin Williams um, at Night in the Museum Free, and he was really nice too. Oh, nice! Even though, we, even yeah. though you got, we got told we got told we weren't allowed to talk to anybody. Don't even make eye contact with oh, really? um, some some. Yeah, don't make eye contact with some people, um, and then. Robin, it was like three o'clock in the morning um, after a free night shoot. Um, and he was standing, I was just completely out of it, talking to a colleague, just so, so very, very tired. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden, Robin Williams is standing next to us and all his regalia. Um, oh. I hadn't seen any of the night at the museum movies, so I didn't actually know what the hell was going on. Um, but then all of a sudden he was there and then me and my colleague had been told don't look at don't look at anybody in the eyes. Don't talk to anybody. And he's just like, "Hey, how you doing? How you guys doing? You okay?" And I was just like, "Yeah, yeah, great. I'm not allowed to talk to you. What the hell?" Then, <laughs> no, yeah. I think you can if they talk to you. It's that kind of situation. 
that was definitely it. Um, but I met the monkey, and I had the monkey from the movie on my head, um, and that was cool. Oh wow! So you get per- you, you you get perks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, I I asked you if I could ask you this before because it was my favorite story that you told me when uh, when I came in, and that was about the the chess set, the Lewis the Lewis chess set. Um, which I thought was incredible, and I found it uh, that you that you got told off for this was a little bit disappointing because I thought it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I don't know if you want to if you want to tell the story because I I loved it. Uh, to be fair, there are quite there are sometimes I get told off frequently um, <laughs> for various things that might or might not happen at the museum. Um, but it, it wasn't like a massive kind of like what the did you do? Yeah, okay. okay. Um, it was uh, me and uh, a colleague who is no longer with us because uh, he moved on to another museum. He didn't die, um, <laughs> thankfully. Um, um, we were going to Lewis Chessman case to do various things because uh, we, we try not to open cases, but when we do, um, sometimes we have to do a little bit more than we want to. Uh, but when we're moving the objects around, um, we've, I, well, I personally, I'll take full responsibility for it. Um, I thought, <laughs> No, he's not there anymore. Just blame him. Just blame him. No, No, because I I promised my colleagues that I wouldn't be like everybody else. Every time somebody leaves, that's the person who gets the blame for everything. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay, of course. Whereas I am always, um, if I I fucked up, I'll take full responsibility. Oh, that's good. So... uh, yeah, there's a, there's a, if anyone's been to the museum, you've got the Lewis Chessman on the board, and then you've got various ones on the side next to it, um, various on two sides of the case. Um, but then we had a lot of the horsemen um, on the bottom layer, and they're all dotted around. So I thought it would look, when we'd actually move them around, um, a few of them were standing next to each other. And because I was I play music quite a lot when we're working in the morning, and it, a chance happened to be um, the Lord of the Rings soundtrack playing while I was doing it. And I thought, you know, it's going to be really cool if I line up every single horse um, and it's just going to look like the Rohan charge uh, at Pelennor Fields. And I think, like, yeah, that's going to be cool. And everyone else is going to come into the museum and they're going to think, like, well, that was cool. And you could actually do – there could have been an argument for saying, like, oh, we, we can have a comparison of seeing – because all the horses, um, every single bit of Lewis Chessman – they're all unique. Um, the craftsmanship that's gone into it and specifically is just mind-boggling. Um, the hands are all different. The patterns are all different. The hair's all different. Every single piece is completely unique. They're absolutely amazing. So I, so that's my little gadget, our free card. It's like, oh, by putting the horses next to each other, you can actually see how different they are and do a little comparison. But that wasn't going through my mind at the time. Um, so yeah, it lasted about a day until I got an email from the curator saying, um, I just walked past the Lewis Chessman case and I seem to have noticed. It was a very polite email. Yeah. But it's basically, um, next morning, you are going back into that case and you're sorting your crap out. Um, but they did look very cute for a day. Um, <laughs> all the horse, all the horsemen just lining up, looking like they were going to charge out the case and go and save Gondor. Um, if, yeah. and if anybody um, got a picture of that they're on that day, then please, I want to see it. <laughs> please send it. Um, I've got a few. <laughs> oh, have you? Uh, good, good. I'm glad you took some pictures. But uh, this is my thing. That wasn't the only thing I've got. Um, I have, um, but I think it goes into the thing. That there are sometimes you'll go around the museum and you'll see things the the wrong wrong way round or the wrong way up. 
Um, sometimes it's completely accidental and sometimes it might be a little bit intentional. Um, but there's, there's, a, there's a beautiful um, Crusader sword we have on display. Um, and it's got an inscription, which is to this day, it's never been translated. Um, okay. no, no one knows what it is. Um, and on the other side of it, um, it's got some stars and crescent moons, um, but no one ever gets to see that side. Uh, so I turned that around one day with my colleague, same colleague, actually, maybe he was the bad devil maybe, on my shoulder. Yeah. Oh, um, maybe. <laughs> I turned that around and, um, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that because I might have got into trouble on that one. Um, cause the inscription is the famous bit. Um, okay. So every, everybody I, wants to see it. Yeah. Um, and translate it. Cause it did have a, it went on exhibition at the British library. Um, and there was a competition in the British library to see if anybody could, um, see what this sword said and still nobody there could figure out what the hell was going on with it, wow. which is, which is still pretty cool. Yeah, that is very cool. And I wonder, then it makes you think, I wonder if it's gibberish or if it's there's something to it or not. I, I've been speaking to a few people and, um, I, I'm definitely thinking it's gibberish. I do think people have kind of like, there was a, cause we do, there's a lot of stuff that you can see in the collection. There's a lot of tourist tap, but, but people were selling tourist tap, um, for hundreds of years. If you have morons, then you're going to try and make money off of them. Yeah. Um, so there is, so you can imagine it as a crusader gone around and it would be just like, Oh, Okay, there's a guy coming from from the west. He's going to go and go to, on the way to Jerusalem. I'm going to try and flee some some money. So it's like, take this sword, Crusader man. This has got a spell, or it's got a religious bit, and it's going to save you and you'll bring glory to God and stuff like that. Mm. And it's just gibberish, gibberish, gibberish. Yeah, um, I, and I do find that's kind of funny. I often wonder how many times that must happen. How many? I was wondering how many. Oh, I'd love to know like how many items there are that we think have such high importance, but really they were just they were just they just weren't ever meant to be this thing. You know, they've yeah. just got caught up in the in the situation. Obviously, they've been found because not everything you find in the ground is meant to be some life changing item. Yeah. But it must be hard when you find something that's like two thousand years old and to not be like, this is the best. This is the one. This is the thing. This is the, the, the we've all we've all needed this. Um, yeah, yeah. I'd love to know like how much is just tat. Well, it's one of those curses of every time somebody mentions the word ritual or ritualistic objects, <laughs> it just I just want to punch somebody in the face because it basically means we don't know what the fuck it is. Um, part of my language. Sorry. Um, don't worry. But but I always, I wonder myself. It was like we we've got so many little things, got some big things, and I'd love to go back uh, in time. And people would just kind of go like, "Oh, you turned that into a museum piece. Uh, that was just something I used to like, you know, keep a door open. Um, that big bit of rock, yeah, that was a doorstop. Or yeah, that that nice little brooch which you've turned into your centerpiece for a whole museum. That was like, you know." I lost that on the floor because it was crap. It broke off after two seconds. I got had to get my money back from the guy. Yeah. Um, because it must be, there must be, uh, there must be that kind of situation that happened. But then going back hmm. to 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 flip it back to like the the conversation we had at the beginning with Notre Dame, you also um, once you had that story of something, if that happened, of like this was actually a doorstop, then it also has a really cool story to it so then it becomes a centerpiece it's like a self-fulfilling pro- prophecy in a, in a way 
Yeah, it would probably get a name as well. Like it was like ah, the doorstep of Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. would. It would be. Yeah, it would be. Uh, they would become uh, very um, important, I guess, in its own right. But, Which, yeah. um, go, going back to we're talking about um, favorite um, things. Um, one of my favorite objects, um, but it's not like one object; it's many. Um, is the Vindalana tablets. Um, and that's why I thought I might bore you because um, it's Nordic mythology and they're Roman oh, objects. Um, because, and, and it's one of those things that correspondences these days in a thousand years or 2000 years, um, are they going to turn into another museum piece? Um, it's fascinating going back in Sumerian um, or the Babylonian kind of like. Um, text and actually it's things like origins of handwriting and origin origins of language and it's usually about money and shopping lists and trade disputes and things like that um, but when the Vindlander tablets were found they were just little bits of um, what looked like card and you can walk past the display case in the museum and not even look at it but when it's like you thought you you think these actually found up at Vindlander and they're like right on the furthermost borders of the Roman Empire and they translated all these little letters um, and then there was there was a lady who was like, you can pro probably quite lonely up at the garrison asking her friends back in Rome, please come celebrate my birthday with me over here. You've got another guy complaining about the weather because um, he's probably coming from Iberian Peninsula, he's coming from Rome or something like that. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, can you please send me over some sandals and socks because um, the weather over here is horrible. Um, there's another guy. I mean, um, it, is, it is horrible over here at the minute as well. Um, it's really hot over here. There's actually fire warnings. Um, really? So, yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. it's awful here. It's absolutely throwing it down. So I, I feel their pain. Well, because I, because I trained so many members of staff and, um, we used to get people from all over the world coming to work in a museum. Um, uh, so there's people from like Australia, people from like South America, there's people from like UK from Europe and I always used to take them to the Vindaland the tablets and then I read them out that one about the guy complaining about the weather and I was, then I just basically say how many of you people have, when you first came over here did you send a whatsapp um, to your family and just go oh my god what have I done with my life the weather over here is bloody awful and it's like that it's like yeah. you know but two two thousand years ago because it's basically history hasn't changed and then mm -hmm. one of my favorite one of my favorite ones from the tablets is a slave writing to um, the local, um, um, I think it's a magistrate, and he says, um, why, have, why have I been, as a man from overseas, subjected to being beaten unfairly? Because um, he's basically complaining about police brutality about 2,000 years ago. Wow. Um, and again, to show you that history really doesn't change. Um, but as the value, um, there is no financial uh, value because they're not silver, they're not gold. Um, but historical and context, mm -hmm. it actually takes you takes you and puts you in the feet of that person. Like two thousand years ago, you can read their very words. So, if you put your a letter or like you're writing your shopping list um, for dog food, new microphone, or stomach for your um, podcast, if somebody finds that shopping list in about two thousand years um, after the world has been annihilated, um, that could actually have historical context and could be worth more. Than the Sanu helmet or the Snetish and um, talk and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Sorry, romanticizing. No, 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 don't. Um, yeah, I think that's a good point for us to to wrap this up on. We've done we've done over an hour, and we're gonna do a little Q and A after. And I'm sure I want to give plenty of time for that because I'm sure people are gonna have a lot of questions for you. This has been 
absolutely fascinating. So for anybody that does want to check out the Q&A after this, it's over on Patreon. It starts from £3 a month. So it's like buy me a cup of coffee once a month and you can get all the Q&As. We do one with every single uh, guest. We do a Q&A after and you can ask your questions prior or during the live show. Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. We have the story times of Jonas Lorenzen over there as well. But oh, and, and last thing, the the new t shirts are going to go on public sale. So we we made some nice t shirts. So at um, Midgas Block last year, I and I made a very nice quote um, about nature. We were we were having a discussion about how our connection to nature is kind of declining, and we've kind of detached from it. And he said that uh, in kind of relation to nature, that it never left. We did that we kind of abandoned nature and we decided to make a t-shirt of that, which is the one that I've got on. And they're going to go public sale. The, the patrons have had them. Theirs have been sent out. So we're going to, they're going to, whatever we've got left is going to go public sale. So go on to the, their website, nordicthologypodcast.com, and you can pick up one of those. And yeah, so Richard, shout out your Instagram, where people can follow you, because you have one of the, the most fascinating Instagram profiles there is. Oh, um, it's just, yeah, it's quite, quite boring, really. Um, it's not like Mr. Museum or anything like that. It's just oh, uh, been... Richard, Richard K. Wakeman. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Even, Do... even my Instagram is introverted. <laughs> no, mine's just my name as well. So people, yeah, people definitely just, just go and follow that. It is fascinating. You, you really get to see like firsthand you get into up close and personal and i think it's lovely that you do it that you get people get this different perspective on these items because it's much more you kind of up close you know you get to see them in the museum but you get you live like say you live vicariously through you you're getting to touch them and it gives you that warm feeling of like oh it's you just, it's just very nice it's whole it's wholesome i love it i really do i right. very grateful right, for you doing it I, I, only, I started doing it properly after during lockdown when people couldn't get to museums. Because um, at first when I started Instagram, it was I'd had a hard drive crash, hard drive crash. So I got told about Instagram and it was just like, oh, I'll put all my photos on there. So if anything crashes, um, I'll still have them easily accessible. Um, and then I didn't use it that much until the lockdowns happened. I realized that people were missing museums. I was missing museums because we had to work from home for a little bit furloughed for like a month or two um but then i started uploading more because i take a lot of photographs probably one too many photographs um and then when i realized that people really appreciate it, i kind of put more effort into doing it and um it's led me to a few places where i didn't think it would um, and i hate yeah. social media um so yeah i'm glad people like it good yeah they do i'm sure they do i know i do so okay let's let's wrap this up and then we'll jump on and do a q a and let people ask you some questions because I know they're going to have some fascinating ones. So thank you very much. You you had nothing to worry about. This, believe me, you said to me a couple of times, this is going to be the lowest rated episode we do. I will be far from it. It's more than fascinating. and People will absolutely love this. I guarantee it. I still doubt that, but hey. Good. <laughs> we'll see. We'll find out. I, I, <laughs> I will happily send you uh evidence to the contrary so yeah let, let's jump over and do the q a and then we'll uh we'll let you get back to your lovely sunny weather <laughs>